Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 1st, 2022, we continue our series titled, Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Suffering, Our Good, God's Glory, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. You've heard it said that dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. How dusty is your Bible? Are you in it? Do you know how to use it? Do you read it? Do you apply it? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk with Jesus. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he doesn't just call us to him, he calls us away from something else. When we follow Jesus, Jesus is going to bring us out of those things. And maybe right now in your head you're thinking, my my thing is one of those respectable things. Okay, it's not that big of a deal. It's not like a big sin, it's respectable. It's just greed and jealousy and gossip and slander and dissension. God hates those things. Those are big things. Would you bring those out? Bring those out in your small group. Bring those out in your home. Talk to your spouse. Talk to a close friend and say, hey, this is really becoming an issue in my life and we need to kill it. That's why the church is here. We're here to help each other. We're here to put to death the sin, the deeds of the body. Jesus already did. He killed it, it's dead. It's dead. Let's not allow it to have a grip over us anymore. By the Spirit of God, may we put to death the deeds of the body and in doing so, truly live the life that Christ has called us to live, amen? The question is why does God allow suffering? Why does it exist? I know that uh, this is a message, um, as I was telling others, other pastors this morning, It's a message that I want out. I think the burden when we involve ourselves in people's lives and we see how messy the world is, when we see the difficulties, the burdens, the suffering, the great things that people are going through, this is what we're called to as Christians, not just as pastors, but as brothers and sisters to bear one another's burdens, to stand in the gap and pray for a brother or sister, to go through life's difficulties together because we know of the glory that is to come. This last several weeks in this message, God has just been pouring and revealing to me how great the burden is. I can't encourage you enough even today, you know, uh, no coincidence, we're, we're uh, celebrating those who volunteer. I can't encourage you enough to join the forces and volunteer. Maybe God is calling you to reach out to Thomas and, and be a small group leader. Maybe God is, in fact, calling you to join this June, our Stephen ministers, this next class that we're going through so that you can come alongside people. In the last couple of weeks, I have gone through watching multiple people take their last breath and watched as people mourn the loss of a husband, as they mourn the loss of their wife. As you watch a younger sister lose her older sister, a mom lose her daughter, these come with incredible burdens. A little hidden gem, you know, within the pastoral staff here 
is something we talk about on a frequent basis, that the most important thing for us as pastors is to smell like the sheep. To live where you live, to encounter what you encounter, because our Savior has lived where we live and has encountered all that you experience. It's hard to be grateful when you're staring into the abyss of suffering, when there's a medical diagnosis that derails your future plans or a child that is forever taken from your arms, when you change the diapers of your parents and they can't even remember who you are, when you cling to your marriage vows with a resulting cold shoulder or an empty bed, when you dedicate your life to saving appropriately for retirement and one circumstance leads to another and you find yourself penniless and nowhere to turn. We often just quietly sit in the shadows observing others that seem to smile sometimes as they go through such incredible hardship. We find ourselves continually comparing our lowlights to other people's highlights on social media. Comparison is the robber of all joy. And as human beings, we tend to decline. When we hear these negative thoughts, the human mind wants so desperately to hang on to the negatives of the world, but I'm gonna talk to you today about the renewing of your mind, to change, in fact, the way that you think. Our goals at this time They become unrealistic in our hardship and we ultimately become lured and enticed by our own desires. And those desires are oftentimes to mourn in isolation, to separate ourselves from the crowds rather than to come forward and bear one another's burdens, to call upon someone. I don't know how many times I hear people say, I just don't want to ask and be a burden to the church. Brothers and sisters, You are a burden to the church, and that is the call of every Christian. People who come to me and say, Jeff, the Bible, Jesus himself said, it's better to give than it is to receive. It is. But that means you must take your turn at receiving. As you go through your anguish and your suffering, our tendency is to want to give up. Our tendency is to want to focus on the suffering rather than God's sovereignty. And our attitude becomes that of bitterness, anger, or anxiety. But today as we look, suffering that is not rightly focused on Jesus Christ will ultimately separate us from our God and it will cheat us out of the intended purpose of receiving God's grace and the God that will be revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Suffering is in fact for our good. Know what I'm saying here. Suffering is in fact for our good. I didn't say that it's gonna feel good. But suffering, our suffering, is exclusively for the glory of God. Last week, Pastor Thomas ended on Romans 8, 17. And I'll remind you what that verse says. It says, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Look at that word, provided. Provided. 
provided in verse 17 we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It is human nature to try and find a correlation between bad behavior and bad circumstance. And conversely, between good behavior and blessing. The desire to link sin to suffering is so strong that Jesus himself dealt with it with his own disciples. Look, if you would, at at John 9, verses 1 through 3. It's talking here, it says, as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? You see, the disciples were making the mistake of assuming that the innocent would never suffer and or be assigned personal guilt. In this case, they're trying to determine, was it this guy's sin or was it his parents' sin that led him to be born blind? Jesus corrects his thinking in verse three. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but why? That the works of God might be displayed in him. That's powerful. You see, the man's blindness was not the result of personal sin. Rather, God had a higher purpose for this type of suffering for him. I think another time where Jesus commented on the the deaths of some people that were killed in an accident, right? In Luke 13, verses four and five, it says, or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance and faith play such a big part in our life as followers of Christ, right? But in this case, Jesus again is discounting the notion that tragedy and suffering are the result of personal sin. And at the same time, Jesus emphasized the fact that we live in a world full of sin and its effects. Therefore, everyone, all humanity, without exclusion, must repent. I think a lot of people understand the term repentance to mean a turning from sin. I want to give you a slightly different nuance to understanding that turning of sin. This regretting sin or turning from it and related repentance. But the precise meaning of this word in the Bible, the word repent means to change one's mind. To think differently. If you're not already there, turn to our text in Romans 8. And let's see what Paul has to say about this this relationship between suffering and his glory. Paul says this. He says, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free 
from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, I thank you, I praise you, I worship and adore you. I come to you now and I just ask, Lord, that you would give us a special measure of your grace your kindness, your mercy upon us, Lord. Help us to grow in that grace. Help us to see the beauty of your word and the glorious gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So what kind of suffering, right? The suffering that Paul is talking about here, we would call it a global or a universal suffering. It's not specifically why or how you are specifically suffering. It's not a determination as to why are you going through what you're going through and this person is not going through what you're going through. It is the global aspect of suffering. It's important for us to understand that this suffering is not necessarily a consequence. It's also not necessarily a persecution, although suffering can be both consequence and can, in fact, be that of persecution. But he's talking about suffering as a result of the fall of man. He's talking about a suffering in the world that is a global pandemic, if I could call it that. Paul's already said to us in Romans 5.12, he says that the sin that we have, the fall of man through one man and death came to all of mankind. There's going to be suffering because death is in fact involved. And it's important that in Romans 5, 12, Paul also told us that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. But our point one today is to consider why does suffering exist? Why does it exist? When we start to look at verse 17, which we opened with, right, provided we suffer with him in order, why, why are we to suffer with him so that we can be glorified with him? So we suffer as he suffers. We rise from the dead as he rose from the dead. To be glorified with him. But Paul starts in verse 18 with the word for. If you were to substitute another word for that, it would be because. If we were to go back and look at that we would, that we would suffer, provided we suffer with him and that we're glorified with him because I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Here, in context, suffering is being used as a tool of sanctification. It's being used as a test within our faith. In fact, we know that God 
tests our faith so that we will grow in perseverance, so that we will grow in our trust and our dependence upon the person of Jesus Christ. How else could you possibly consider it pure joy when you encounter various forms of trials? But on the way to this glory that will be revealed, we must in fact suffer. We must go through the pains, as he will say, of childbirth. In fact, all the way through Romans 8, from 18 all the way to 39, is the path of suffering which leads to the glory of Christ. But Paul says something important here. It's not worth, this suffering that he's talking about is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. So what kind of glory is he talking about here? Will it in fact be a glory that we will see? Or is it a glory that we will in fact be? He says in verse 19, remember he starts with four. So so this glory that to be revealed to us because, why? The creation waits. That word waits there, let me, before, before I get too far into that, into that and, don't, and forget to talk about this, right? He's gonna use the term wait or wait or patience. That's not to say like I'm waiting on my wife to get ready. Where I have no hope that we're gonna be on time. <laughs> right, the wait that he's talking about here is expectation. I have an, I'm waiting with baited expectation. So he says, because or for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You see, creation here is waiting for our glory. Creation is waiting for our glory. We, as brothers and sisters, are the sons of God. But my question still is, why is creation waiting for us? Why is there an eager expectation for us? In fact, if you get a chance, go back a little bit. I think it's uh, Romans 1, 20, 21, somewhere right there. Romans 1, verse uh, 21. Right, it says, uh, tail end of 20, it says, so they are without excuse. Remember, this is Paul saying that the invisible natures, that the creation itself has always been a testimony that there is a God and it leaves people without excuse. Look at what he says here. He says, for, because although they knew God, they did not honor God, did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, wrong thinking. And their foolish hearts were, in fact, darkened. Look at what he's doing here. He's saying that we're going to, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, verse 20 now, because or for the creation was subjected to futility. This word just means frustration. I can't tell you how frustrating this world is. When you talk to a person over and over and over again about looking to Jesus and living, about clinging to the cross and living, about going forward in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they look at you and they say, I don't get it. This is the futility of the world. 
the frustration that nothing cooperates. You see, it is this futility that drives us to our knees in our trust and our dependence upon a sovereign and a holy God. But look at what he says. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Who subjected it? Us? The devil? Or God? He says here that it was subjected in hope. We didn't bring hope. The devil doesn't bring hope. God brings hope. It was subjected in futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it in hope. He then goes on to say why. He's going to give purpose to it. He's going to help us understand why would he do that? What's the purpose of that? Because he starts verse 21 with the word that. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain, that's a key word there, obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He wants to set us free from our bondage to corruption, to a non-cooperating world, and he wants to drive you in humility to your knees and a dependence and a trust upon the person of Jesus Christ, who is the works, the righteousness. He is the one who sacrificed, who gave his life, that the whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life with him. He set us free from the bondage of this corruption. Why? Why would he glorify the children? Why does he want us to be glorified? In verse 17 where he said it, to be glorified with him. You see, the glory that is to be revealed is not only will we ultimately be glorified in a glorified state, but what he wants us to see right here is the glory to be revealed is him. He wants you to see him. Brothers and sisters, I can't tell you what it must be like because I, I haven't done it, I haven't been there. But when you pass from this world to the next world and the first sight you have is the eyes of Jesus Christ, what a relief that must be to be set free from the corruption of this world. But how would we understand this if there wasn't the contrast of this present age of suffering? Would it turn into, oh, hey, good to see you, Jesus. Things have been great. <laughs> or does it bring on different meaning? I can't tell you enough that this great God not only loves you, he likes you. He longs to be with you. There's an eager expectation that you will be with him in glory. So what is, point two, what is the intended effects of suffering? So what does he want us to experience in this suffering? He again, in verse 22, he goes back to four. He says, because, right? So he wants us to have the freedom of the glory of the children of God because we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What an incredible word picture. Brothers and sisters, when you think about your suffering, I doubt anyone sits there, lays in agony as they've broken their wrists or have gone through the difficulties of losing a child. I doubt anyone sits there and says, man, it feels so good. 
as I watched all four of my children be born because that's the illustration that he's given here is the birth pains of childbirth. I can't tell you enough how agonizing that pain looked from my side. (laughs) And you do get your best jokes when your wife is dilated four centimeters. But it's a good time to be quiet. (laughs) Otherwise, you'll experience a different kind of suffering. But think about childbirth. Childbirth and the pains of that childbirth is actually good suffering. Because what is it like the moment that you set eyes and you hold that child for the very first time? I'm amazed at you ladies that have given birth to children that you went back and said, I think it's time to have another which didn't take the man any more than two seconds to say, okay. No thinking towards cost or consequence, nothing. Right? It's like, yeah, okay. But childbirth. He says in verse 18 that this suffering is not worth comparing, but here he is contrasting it here to be likened like childbirth in that moment that you set eyes on that child. You see, we go through these sufferings for something good, like the birth of a child, or that moment that you step into his kingdom and you see him face to face for the first time. But why did he subject us to such frustration, such futility? Because suffering exists ultimately to reveal. Suffering gives us perspective and it reveals to us something that is coming. I'll give you at least five things that suffering is meant to bring about in us. But ultimately, today's context is about revelation. It's about revealing and what he's revealing. But the first reason why God brings suffering to us is so that it enacts repentance And by repentance, it's not I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. It's a renewing of your mind. It's a changing the way that you think. You see, there's great difficulty in the human mind because it is so depraved, it is so debased, it is so desirous of self, it's so desirous of everything that I could give you a command right here, right now, a simple command, and not one person in this room is gonna follow the command. Here's the command. I don't want anyone in this room to think about purple elephants. You got it pictured, don't you? You see, the human mind has no ability within itself to not think of that. So God here is using suffering to bring about in us a change or a different way of thinking. Right, Paul in Acts 26, he says, I preach that they should repent, change the way that they think, and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. If you change your mind, it'll change your action. You see, works-based theology says change your action and it will change your mind. God's word is telling you change your mind the way you think and it will change your action. 
This full biblical definition is to change the mind. It's where Paul is building to when he gets to Romans 12 in his letter. He's going to say, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Why? So that when the tests of life come, you'll be able to discern what is the will of God, what is perfect, what is right, what is acceptable. And you must have your mind thinking on the truth of God's word, not on the lies of the world. The second thing that suffering brings about is our reliance. Second Corinthians, I'll let you look that up, it's in the notes, but Second Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, it's telling us that all suffering is meant to awaken or increase our reliance on God. It is God who raises the dead, not ourselves. It is a reliance on God who gives you a spirit of gratitude And when you focus on your suffering and not on the commands of God to be thankful or to rejoice in all circumstances, you will fall into the abyss of self-pity. But you've got to renew your mind. This has been a rough week. The counseling load this week and the burden that I've been carrying. My wife even sent me a text earlier this morning. I've never seen you so burdened. All these different things because I'm preaching on suffering and the glory that is to be revealed. God wants you to intimately know and expect and anticipate the beauty of Christ, his imminent return or his, our longing to be with him. But in this time between here and there, we must be reliant upon him. Suffering is also meant to bring about righteousness. Hebrews 12, 6 through 11 tells us that all human suffering is meant to increase the fruit of righteousness and holiness in our lives. It's about living a life of holiness. If you're struggling with different things in your life, if you're struggling with sexual sin, God is not trying to make you a purist. He is trying to make you holy. For he is holy. We often fail to distinguish between the God that is versus what God does. Who he is never changes. He is immutable. He is unchanging. He is unwavering. But what he does will often shock you. But he does all things for our good and for his glory. For he is good. We do it fourthly. Suffering is to bring about reward. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 tells us that all human suffering is meant to bring about for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. When you have your eye on the prize, when you're focused on Christ, for he is our prize, our intimate relationship with him for all eternity where there is no suffering, there is no sin. There's just a personal, intimate relationship with God. The fifth reason, which is our context today, is that human suffering brings about revelation. All human suffering is meant to reveal, here's what it reveals, an inescapable external force, which is the horror and the outrage of internal human sin. That I cannot not sin. And I am desperately dependent upon this God. 
and I must look forward to the, rev- to the reward that is before me, the glory that is his. The effect of sin and suffering, it corrupts from within. But it is this fallen nature when I come to put it in contrast of the beauty of Christ that causes the believer to cry out, Abba, Father, in Romans 8, 15. It creates a longing through the fruit of the Spirit that I desperately need our God. Our third point today is that eagerly awaiting awaiting the redemption of our bodies. He says in verse 23, in addition to, he says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons plural sons there so that it means both men and women, both the adoption of sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. We wait eagerly with patience. He is four times in the text he has told us to wait or to be patient because seven times we are told of this continuation of because, because there's four, for this reason, for this reason, for this reason. But what are we waiting for? What is eager patience? I don't know about you, but there are mornings that I wake up and I'm so burdened, I'm so difficult with what's going on in this world and all the things that are happening that I just want to look to the sky and say, Lord, check, please. Take me out of this place. But here's what he wants for us. We ourselves groan for the adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. As Paul said in 724, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death to cry out to him? Or as he did with David, King David, in Psalm 38, he says, O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing, my groaning is not hidden from you. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4. He says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. You see, last week, Thomas talked about this putting to death the deeds of the flesh, this term is mortification, to mortify my fleshly desires. But here in this context, he's saying that we would be swallowed up in life. The term for that is called vivification. It means live. Live the abundant life that God wants you to live through the suffering to the glory of him. There is no mortification. There is no ability within yourself to put to death the deeds of the flesh unless you live a life in Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. Thomas talked, he said, he said that, uh, he said, wait a second, we've already been adopted. Romans 8, 15, we've already received the spirit of adoption. We've been adopted already. But here's what's happening. This is the already, but the not yet, but have not yet received what? Our full inheritance. Because you're an heir, a co-heir with Christ, and you inherit everything. 
And you long for the redemption of your body. To be present with him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But he's telling us that we have the spirit of the adoption. Thomas referred to it as the great deposit. If he put this deposit of the Holy Spirit, I can guarantee you he's going to follow through with his promise. Because he's not going to compromise the spirit. He's coming back. And he's coming back for his spirit. And you better be attached to it. But we are the first fruits. He is the spirit of promise. The hope of glory is Christ. As we talked weeks past that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we talked about that positionally, right? At one point, you were out of the family. You were out. You were gone. But because of Christ, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Nothing can change your position as a family member in Christ. Nothing. You have to remember how you got here. You stand before God as if you were Christ, holy and blameless. Listen to that again. You stand before God as if you were Christ. Why? Because Christ stood before God as if he were you. Peter 1 Peter tells us, it says, blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Where is it being kept for you? In heaven. This inheritance is kept for you in his glory. We must go from grace to glory, from death to life. Not life to death. It has to come with suffering, with groaning, with agony. As Christians, we're not here to try and fix the world. We're waiting eagerly with patience for the return of Christ to put an end to it. Live your life for Christ and show the light to the world. But you must suffer as he suffered and suffer, though, in hope. He says to us in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. You see, it's the ministry of first fruits. He's the one who makes us cry out, Abba, Father. He's the one who subjected the world to fertility, but he did it in hope as the world continues to pour out its stupidity and its frustrations and everything upon us, we go through this, this revelation of realizing I can't do it unless I cling to the cross, to the person of Jesus Christ, and be set free from the corruption of this world. So we rejoice in our suffering because we have hope. We have the first fruit. So what? We now know why we suffer. We apprehend, not comprehend, the intended result of suffering. But how do we hope, fourthly? Paul transitions from hope and suffering to how we ought to hope in the Spirit. Listen to what he says in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit is here to help us. But whose groanings are these? Are they mine or are they God's? In verse 27, the Spirit intercedes with our weakness and the Spirit is producing that which our heart stirs up. In verse 23, he told us we groan having the first fruits of the Spirit. And primarily, the first act of sacrifice is my will for his. That's my first act of sacrifice. Not my will be done, but his will. No matter what the circumstances. This is the intercession between his spirit and our spirit. That the suffering that causes us to cry out to God. And how does he pray for us? He prays for us in our weakness. He knows that we're easily lured and enticed. He knows that we look like sheep, that we act like sheep. Brothers and sisters, when you find yourself with suffering and the anguish that's going on, I beg you, please, don't lay in your bed trying to count sheep. Talk to the shepherd. Talk to him. Be set free from this corruption of this world. I remember a good friend of mine whose son was going through brain cancer and as he was leaving the hospital, he called the doctors and the nurses together and he said to them, he said this, this utterance, this groaning from deep within him, he made the doctors and the nurses join hands and he says, I want to pray, dear God, thank you for giving me cancer because without it, I would have never have met all these wonderful people. Oh, to have a perspective like this to look to the hope that we cling to in the presence of a holy God. He says to us in verse 27, and he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to how? The will of God. You see, when you're sitting there blubbering upon yourself and your self-pity and you're not even praying the right prayer. You need to know this simple fundamental truth that the Spirit of God is intervening for you. And he's going to the throne room and says, Lord, forgive them for what they're praying. But your will be done so that you can experience the goodness of God. You see, God is searching your heart to bring the mind of the Spirit as we close out here today, as I bring the worship team and the prayer team up, and as we get, to, we get to embark upon communion, to remember all that he has done, I want you to know that God is searching your heart. He's bringing your mind of the spirit so that God will work his good and his son's glory because he, he is the central theme, the point. He is the everything. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the thing that you will lock eyes on when you enter into the kingdom of heaven and you will never take your eyes again off of him because he is the light of the world. And this suffering, this light and momentary affliction that you are going through in this world, in this fallen world, doesn't even compare to the glory that is to be revealed in him. Amen? As we bring the worship team up, we're doing communion. In fact, if you have your communion, and if you don't have one, just raise your hand. We've got some people that'll, they throw them out like peanuts, so be aware. <laughs> but raise your hand, just let them bring you some, the elements. We'll start with the bread side. Don't open the juice side. 
So you start with the bread side. Man, on that night, when not only Judas, but all of humanity betrayed him, you and me, he broke that bread. And he said, this is my body. It's for you. It's so that when you eat or drink, when you eat of this bread, you will do so, right? In remembrance of him. But also on that night, he took the cup. He told us, this is my blood. This is the new covenant. The new contract with God is that if you believe on him, if you put your faith and your trust in him, you will not only experience suffering, I promise you, but that suffering will be for your good and for God's glory. When we drink this, we do so in remembrance of him. God himself, brothers and sisters, he's the way maker. You may be going through your life thinking, man, I have done great things. But it is really that God has done great things in you and through you. I pray today that we would live our lives to his glory and that even in the height of suffering, we would look to him. Amen? That's who he is. He's the way maker. As you go through this life and you go through this suffering, you go through the difficulties and the plagues of society, don't do it alone. Do it with brothers and sisters. This prayer team is down here to pray with you, to pray for you. Maybe God's put it upon your heart today to come not only to receive prayer, but maybe to reach out and join the prayer team so that you can minister to others. Maybe God's put it upon your heart today to join us this June and become a Stephen minister and to sit bedside with someone who so desperately is longing to not die alone, but to have a brother or sister be there to pray with them as our Savior, as our Savior pulls them from this world to the next. We would put our hope and our trust and our everything in the person of Jesus Christ. May this God keep you May he bless you. May his light just shine upon you. That we would use the fullness of the body to minister not only to one another, but to share the gospel of hope as we ourselves go through the world of suffering. Help us, Lord, to grow in your grace. Help us to grow in a greater understanding of your son. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Come see these people. Come be a part of this family. Let us pray for you. I love you guys. We'll see you all next week.